Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Sean McIndoo of The Athletic and the writer behind Down Goes Brown, who everyone should check out, um, covers the NHL for The Athletic, such a great uh, hockey historian writer. Um, I'm probably forgetting something, but uh, thanks so much, Sean, for for coming on the show. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Thank you for, uh, thanks for the invite. I, I first wanted to ask, um, what is the origin of you starting Down Goes Brown? Uh, boy, I, I mean, going way, way back, I grew up wanting to be a sports writer. I mean, that was, I, I, I'm, I'm old enough that I grew up with newspapers and, you know, reading, uh, I, I grew up in Toronto. So all those great old Toronto sports writer, Milt Dunnell, Jim Proudfoot, uh, Frank or shaky hunt, all of those guys I grew up with. And I was like, yeah, this seems really cool. These guys watch sports. They have opinions about sports and then they write them down and, and people see it and respond to it. And I'm like, that's cool. I want to do that. And as I got older, I, okay, well, what does that look like? How would I get there? And I, I, I did go into, I did journalism. I got a degree in journalism. Didn't really love the, the journalism side of it. I didn't, you know, making the phone calls and going and putting microphones in people's faces. Didn't like that part. Um, did like the writing as it turned out, my, my, career kind of took me in a different direction. Didn't get into the the journalism side of it or, or sports or anything like that. Um, went and got a nice corporate job in a cubicle. Uh, and, and that was kind of it for that dream, except that I would still find outlets for it here and there. And, you know, I've said, I've said before, I was basically, you know, the annoying guy in your fantasy football league who writes like the way too detailed preview uh, and sends <laughs> yeah. it out and everyone's just kind of like, all right, Thanks, man. I don't know what you want me to do with this, but okay. Like that was me, right? I was always looking for those outlets. And then, I mean, I guess it'd be 15 years ago now, geez, like, you know, late, uh, you know, 2007, 2008, that, that was kind of the era where blogging really kind of, kind of blew up. There were, um, you know, you, you had these platforms where it was very easy to go in, create your own site and drop everything in there. And you started to see people making a name for themselves not by the traditional way, which was get a journalism degree, go off the, to Thunder Bay and cover high school basketball for yeah. ten years, and then wait for the the old guy to retire, and everyone could move could move up the mm. the ranks. And you know there was also like different writing styles were starting to become popular. Bill Simmons had really you know yeah. pushed the this idea that hey you you can be a fan and still you mm -hmm. know be be a voice. And so. Uh, I was like, all right, this, maybe this is the outlet here. This is, you know, instead of writing the annoying emails to 10 friends, I can write annoying blog posts that 10 people will read. Um, and, and I, I remember sitting down to, to do it, to, you know, to start, start the thing up thinking this will probably be another one of those things that I do for a couple of months and then get bored and move on to something else. Um, and, and I never got bored. And mm. when I started, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of people reading, um, there, there was sort of a, a loose knit, I was writing mostly about the Maple Leafs at the time. There was this kind of loose knit Maple Leafs online community. So you could go in on bigger sites and, uh, you know, that they, they would occasionally throw me a link and that sort of thing. So very slowly, but surely building up an audience. Um, but it, it, it never felt boring. It was always fun to me. And so I stuck with it. And, you know, eventually that really small audience just turned into a, a small audience and then it got a little bigger and, and eventually started opening some doors uh, to, to, to do some of this stuff and to do the stuff that I always wanted to do as a kid. Um, but got there by going down this path that, that didn't even exist back then. 
And and you you write so when you began you you said you wrote a bit about the Leafs, but you've also written a lot. You're kind of the ultimate hockey historian in a lot of ways. Was that something you were always drawn to to write? And and how did you find your voice or kind of these stories where you you find the kind of unconventional story and you're so well informed and humorous? Like, what's your process like for for kind of writing those historical pieces? Yeah, I mean, as far as how it started, it, it's that old, that old thing that that you always tell any writer who's starting off, where it's like you you've got to take some time to find your voice, uh, and and I I very much did that early on in the in the blogging years, and it was easy to do because nobody was reading me, so I could try you know all sorts of different things. Like if you go back and read my very early posts, like I'm trying to be like a serious analyst, and if anything, I'm you know it's the 2008 Leaf, so I'm like an angry fan. Like, These guys are morons. They're you know they don't yeah. know what they're doing. Um, and I would write that stuff and it kind of, you know, people would be like, sure. All right. It was, it was okay. And, and then I started trying different things. And one of the things I, I started doing was like this humor writing approach. Cause, cause I always, you know, I grew up, I love sports and I love comedy and nobody was really ever combining it. Um, and you know, one of the, the best pieces of advice you can give a writer is write the stuff that you yourself would want to read that nobody else is, is out there doing. And you probably find out that some other people some other people like it too. And, and that kind of worked for me. And I, I didn't really do a lot of the history stuff other than yeah, I, I picked the weird stuff, right? That mm. was kind of always my, I mm. like the history. I like all of the history. I mean, I, I, I grew up, like I said, as a Leafs fan in the eighties. So we're talking the Harold Ballard. Yeah. So the present sucks and the future doesn't look much better. So, I mean, the, you know, the, it's the old stuff. And, and I, I, I loved the history but I wasn't like, you know, I didn't love like, oh, Newsy Lalonde, uh, you know, was yeah. the first guy to ever have skates and, you know, that sort of yeah. stuff. I liked the weird stuff. I liked when it was you're watching the Leafs on a Wednesday night and they're losing seven to one because it's the Leafs. Uh, and, you know, the 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 uh, the the announcers start just telling some weird story because you yeah. got to fill time. Right. And they just start talking about, yeah, I remember that time in the 50s where, you know, the guy climbed into the stands and you know whacked the the goal judge over the head with a stick. And I kind of be like, Oh, okay. That, that sounds cool. Uh, so that was the stuff I got into. And, and I would, you know, with, you know, back then, and I'm, I'm really dating myself here, but you know, even YouTube was kind of new ish. Uh, so mm -hmm. the fact that you had this site where you could very easily go on and find these old clips, um, you know, I would grab something like that and throw it up on the site, be like, let's make fun of this weird thing that happened. Um, you know, on this old clip, that's always what appealed to me. And and as time went on, and as I started turning this into a job and getting you know actual um, you know, respectable websites to publish my stuff, I kind of expanded and, and and did the whole history thing, which led up to even getting a chance to to write a, a book on the history of the NHL, which was a lot of fun. But even then, like you know, the focus was like, yes, okay, yeah, here's here's who the Stanley Cup is named after. Great. Here's the time that you know it got drop kicked into somebody's pool. And, you know, like they, I always, I always find that stuff uh, more interesting. So I, you know, I just kind of work that in there. And again, it's just, what is the sort of thing that if I wasn't a writer that I would want to read um, and I go and I write that and I hope that other people want to read it too. And and I I've actually been reading that book that you, you mentioned on the history of the NHL and what is kind of different between writing a book compared to the stories you've you know write for the athletic and and have been writing for down goes brown what's your difference in the process for you yeah I, the, the process for a book is very different um 
Not not so much in the sense that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I mean, my articles in The Athletic are, tend to be long. I'm 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 from that Bill Simmons school where it's like, yeah, yeah why 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 do a nice tight 600 word column when I can just meander on for 2000 plus words? So, you know, it's doing that versus doing a chapter of a book. Not necessarily that different. Obviously, when you're doing a book, there's there's all sorts of stuff that goes into it where you're having to, you know, do outlines and sell it to publishers and working back and forth and what the direction is going to be. The major change to me that the thing that I I struggled with a little bit when it came to writing books is is just that I'm very used to sitting down, I write something, maybe it goes through a few drafts, iterations, maybe an editor has feedback, you know, what have you. But it's like a couple of day process and then it goes out mm-hmm. and people react to it and or they don't react to it or whatever it is. But uh, you know, or people get mad at me or they tell me it's great and they share it and it goes viral or it doesn't. And it just, you know, flops. But all of that is like a very short process. Like I'm sitting down after we we finish this, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write uh, a column that I think is kind of neat, kind of an interesting mm-hmm. idea. And it's going to probably go up on like Thursday or Friday. And people will react to it. And by this time next week, it'll be done and it'll be over. It'll be it'll be gone. Whereas you sit down and write a book and you, you sit down, you spend a day or a week or whatever it is writing a chapter. And then you get it just like you like it. And you sit there and you go, this is good. I, this is really good. And then you realize it's going to be like 18 months before anybody else reads that. Because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, you got, you write the book like a year in advance. And, you know, then there's this this whole long process that goes into it. I found that very weird where, you know, and then like the book is finally coming out. And at this point, I'm like, I don't even remember. Like, <laughs> like if you ask me, what did I write on the athletic a year and a half ago? I don't know. Who, yeah. I mean, that's it, it's the Internet, man. That's like you might as well ask me what I wrote 100 years ago, whereas you do the book and it's it's a much longer process. And, you know, I'd have people like, hey, man, that was hilarious. That thing in the book about this. And I'm like, oh, all right, I'll take your word for it because I got uh, that. That was so long ago. It, that part was the adjustment for me. And then, you know, just playing, I, I was very lucky. I had good, everybody I worked with on the book was, was very good. There was, you know, nobody, there was no stupid stories of people coming in and like, you know, changing stuff on me. They, they understood what my vision was and they let me go and do it. But even then, like, uh, you know, the, just the editing process and everything is so uh, it's so intense for a book. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever do one again. Um, okay. You know, maybe at some point, but uh, I've, I've been asked a few times and I'm always like, I, man, I don't have it in me because it was the other thing is all the work that goes into it. You can't, you can't do it during the season when you're, you're doing all your regular stuff. So it's an off season thing. Mm-hmm. And I like having an off season. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't work all that hard, but I, I work hard enough that I can use a break in the summer. And uh, mm-hmm. the idea of like, how about doing like another hundred thousand words in August is like, nah, man, I don't, I don't think so. I, I wanted to go to, to move to the pieces that you've had at The Athletic on, on fighting. I, I found them really interesting. I've listened to your podcast. I've read a couple of the pieces that you've written. And I know kind of your conclusion uh, to one of the pieces is that you, you don't really know if you want fighting still in the game. It's kind of a bit in between. But you talk to a bunch of players in the NHL right now who said kind of they agree. Like Ryan Reeves said, play volleyball instead. Mm-hmm. Or Braden Shen and Marcus Foligno kind of liked the game, but I'm curious to know what did you reach out to younger players, kind of like the new superstars of Tim Stutzla, Jack Hughes, and or what was kind of the younger players? What did they think about fighting? Because it is a difference, yeah. In, 
the way the game's played even from 10 or even five years ago. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, it's, first of all, the piece you're referring to, I worked with with Joe Smith and Rob Rossi on that. They did all the interviews. Mm-hmm. I don't do it. I don't talk to people. That's uh, you know, that, okay. that's, that's it. they don't let they don't let me and I don't want to. So, okay. uh, you know, they I, I, I'm the writer guy. They're the ones going out and actually having these conversations. And we we didn't because we wanted to to get the perspective of the guys who've done it, who've been mm-hmm. in the fights, who've been in those situations. Um but and and yeah, I mean, you could absolutely look at it and go like, oh, wow, Ryan Reeves, who is in the NHL largely because of fighting, thinks fighting should stay in the NHL. Wow. Great, great scoop, guys. Great breaking news. But, you know, Brayton Shen is not anyone's idea. Mm-hmm. A tough guy. You know, uh, Marcus Foligno is not in the league to fight. Yep. Uh, there's there's guys, you know, lots of guys like that. And, and I suspect even if you're talking to the guys that never do it, the Austin Matthews, the Connor McDavid's, even guys like that. They would still tell you that, you know, there's there's a place for it. And look, I get the arguments against it. I get that there's a lot of fans who roll their eyes at all this stuff. I roll my eyes at it. I I don't I do not believe that you need fighting in the NHL because the so-called rats will take over if you don't have it. And my evidence for that is the last 10 years fighting has plummeted. Where are the rats? You know that I mean that you there are cheap shots and dirty plays in the NHL these days still. Is there more than there was 10 years ago? I don't think so. I think there was a lot more back in that 80s and 90s era. And a lot of times it was the tough guys doling out the cheap shots, you know? I mean, like, you know, Dale Hunter didn't protect anyone from Dale Hunter. Like, that was... uh, um, So, you know, I don't buy the argument. But I will tell you, the players really do. And, uh, you know, that they are... They absolutely believe this, this idea that we need to police our own game. There needs to be some sort of code. Nobody can tell you what the code is, uh, and it changes depending on the situation, but there needs to be something like that. They really do buy into this, um, you know, and, and I really strongly suspect that even the players, you know, even the stars who will never drop the gloves themselves, it, like they've still come up in hockey culture. And this is really ingrained in hockey culture. And that that's why I, I never think that you will ever see necessarily the nhl say we are now passing a rule that says there is no fighting mm. that's when you know that's when people will stand up and there'll be the backlash and all of that but they haven't had to you know we we thought 20 years ago when we used to have this argument we all assumed that the nhl someday would have to say that's it no more fighting it hasn't happened in, instead the nhl's tinkered with a couple of rules here and there but it's mostly just organically disappeared out of the game that probably continues. And, you know, maybe 10 years from now, we look back at now and go, wow, can you believe there was 0.2 fights a game? That's such a crazy high number. Now it's, uh, you know, now it's, it's, it's a fraction of that. Um, but I, I, I certainly don't think it's ever going back to the levels it was at when, when I was a kid growing up where it was just an enormous part of the game. I wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of some kind of fun questions to kind of, about the NHL and, and and you're such a hockey historian and, and kind of so knowledgeable. My first one is about maybe a president's trophy curse. I know that Detroit and Chicago have are the last two teams in 08 and, and 2013 to, to win the cup when they've won the president's trophy. Do you think that that's something in the cap era that is a real thing? And, and could this maybe affect the Boston Bruins this year as a team maybe the idea that they haven't had enough adversity throughout the regular season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know there are, there are no curses, but mm-hmm. that's that's an interesting way to put it. Is you know is it is it too easy, especially a team like Boston, where I mean we've known they were going to win the Presidents Trophy 
for months now. And, and we haven't seen anything like this since Tampa Bay four years ago. And we all know how that ended. They didn't even win a playoff game. So, um, it, you know, I, I think it's, if anything, it's more just a, a symptom or another example of the, the, the parody that we have mm. now. Uh, and, and I've written a lot about this subject and how much parody is too much. Is, is there even such a thing? I know there's a lot of fans out there that absolutely love the level of parody in the NHL. The fact that, yeah, I mean, the Boston Bruins, they're going to have 120, 130 points. Who knows? It could break the all-time record. They could go out in the first round. Who knows? You never know what's going to happen in the NHL. Any given you know series can go any way. And then there's other fans who go like, wait a second. I mean, at some point, are we just flipping coins here? Like, what does the regular season mean anything if there's all of these, you know, so-called upsets? And if everything's an upset, then nothing's an upset. Mm-hmm. We just saw, you know, we just had March Madness, right? And people love March Madness. They love the upsets. But the reason they love the upsets is every single game isn't the lower seed winning. If it happened all the time, the 16 beat a one every single year, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel like, the NHL has has tilted into that a little bit where it's like, man, like, why do we watch six months of the regular season just to find out who makes the playoffs? Even the seeding doesn't matter. Home ice doesn't matter. It just feels like it's it's coin flips. A lot of fans say, I love it. You know, give me even more. It's it's the unpredictability and, and what have you. But yeah, I mean, the the you look at the numbers, there's there's lots of people out there now who can actually, you know, they 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 take everything that's happened and they can crunch it all down to a number and they'll say, this is the percentage chance that the Bruins have. And it usually comes in as a team like the Bruins that are very obviously and evidently the best team in the league. They usually come out at like 20 or 25% chance to win a cup. Now there's 16 teams, 25% chance when you're one out of 16 is, is pretty good. It's, it's phenomenal, but it still feels like such a, you know, such a low number. And uh, you know, I, and I know that, Again, when I was growing up, you know, when I very first became a fan, when I was a little kid, the this was right in the era where we were passing the torch from the Islanders to the Oilers in the 80s. I don't know what the odds would have been for those Islander teams or for those Wayne Gretzky Oilers teams. I'm pretty damn sure they were higher than 25%. Yeah. You know, like you went into that. There were years where you went in going, man, the Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup. And if anybody beats the Oilers, it's going to be huge. Now, that was an upset when somebody beat the Edmonton Oilers or when, you know, David Volek scores and knocks out Mario Lemieux and the Penguins. Mm. That was an upset. You know, you're blown away. Uh, But there'd be a whole bunch of fans going, yeah, guess what, old man? That sounds terrible. Oh, God, imagine the playoffs starting and you're like, we all know the Oilers are going to win unless something crazy happens. Like, no, no, give us the unpredictability. I don't know. There, there's got to be a middle ground somewhere, I think. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think the curse is just that the difference between the very best team in the entire league and the 16th best team that, you know, which is to say the worst of the playoff teams is, is so much smaller than it used to be. Uh, you know, back in, back in the, I remember in the, that Islanders Oilers days, there were 21 teams. So mm-hmm. the, the 16th place team in the playoffs was like what the sixth worst team in the entire league. They're playing the Oilers. They had no chance. Absolutely no chance. Whoever's playing the Bruins this year is going to be an underdog, but they're going to have a chance. And when the Bruins go on to the second round and play Toronto or Tampa, I mean, they're going to be what a 60, 40 favorite. Like that's the best you can do in the NHL. If you do everything right, it's that's, that's basically as, uh, as good as it can get. And then you just hope the coin comes up on your side. 
another team, your favorite team, the the Munch, uh, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, ha- obviously, maybe not cursed, but haven't won the cup in a long, long time, as you know. How do you feel about your team going into the playoffs? And is this maybe the most like I don't want to make it too much of a hyperbole, but like the most cursed NHL team of all time in the Leafs, or is this knowing your knowledge more? Of- yeah, uh, boy, it 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 feels like it. I, I mean, it's it's the longest drought in history right now that uh that they the have rangers right um the, the the rangers had been you know the rangers had 54 years going to 94 the leafs have passed that um the blackhawks had had I, I think it got to 49 years when they finally won now you can make the argument that 54 years that includes the entire original six era when there's only six teams is not the same as you know the no. leafs now i mean there's 32 teams now right i mean you you, you can do everything right there's 32 teams. Your chances, you're still more likely than not to to not win a cup. Now that said, there's not winning a cup, and then there's not winning a round, which is uh, where this this Leafs team is. And and I struggle with it because, like I said, I grew up in the Harold Ballard era. Man, I've watched some some terrible, terrible Leafs hockey and some hopeless hockey where you're just. I mean, you got a bad owner, especially back then. You're screwed. Like there was not there was no like oh maybe next year is our year right like there's there's no maybe next year we knew next year was going to be the same and I, I i watched the team evolve and you know ballard dies and cliff fletcher comes in and doug gilmore wendell clark bring the team to the to the conference final a couple years then that fades pat quinn comes in the matt sundin era they, they you know for about six or seven years the team's really good they're winning playoff rounds most years going deep they don't get there uh and then the cap comes in and, and the team stinks and they don't adapt to anything. And Brian Burke comes in and that doesn't work and, and all the way down. And that brings you to the Brandon Shanahan era and the Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner era and, and what have you. This is the best Leafs team I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Like, I wow. mean, skill wise, this is the best team. And you look at, you know, the one loss record backs that up. Um, you know, I, I've never seen a team that is this good that has, you know, this many weapons even that 93 team that I love more than my own kids, you know, my favorite sports team of all time on paper, skill wise, this Leafs team has, has been better and been better for longer uh, than that team ever was. And yet it, it just hasn't clicked in the playoffs. And again, there, there is a, there's certainly that sports fan part of me. That's like, Oh, you know, I I'll give you the reasons they don't want it bad enough. They don't mm-hmm. know how to win. They don't this and that, and you know, all this stuff. And then there's that other part of me going, Dude, you know, sometimes you if you flip a coin five times in a row, it just sometimes comes up tails five times in a row. And that's yeah. it. And you don't you don't look at the coin and go, it's the coin's fault. You don't go, I need to, you know, I need to rebuild the coin and all this stuff. You just go, I guess I'll flip it again. And who knows? Maybe it comes up tails yet again. Um, so I'm I'm really torn. Like, you know, in in Leafs world, we're already like we're already one step ahead, right? We're already like, if they lose again this year, what happens? Yeah. Do you fire Kyle Dubas? Do you fire Sheldon Keith? Do you trade, you know, who knows who and blow up this roster? And I'm sitting there going like, Kyle Dubas is a, is a great GM. Sheldon Keith seems pretty good as a coach. The roster's fantastic. There is part of me. There's like this, this eighties version of me in the back of my brain going like, you idiot. Don't blow it up. Don't, don't become one of those guys. Who's like, you know, like you're not getting any better. But then there is also the, the modern version of me that's like, man, if they, if they blow it again, screw these guys, I'm done with them. I don't, you know, it's yeah. the most talented team ever, but I don't like watching them. 
I like mm. the 93 team. I like the Pat Quinn, you know, Sundin teams. I don't like this version of the team. And, uh, you know, part of it, it, it feels like I'm just the guy yelling at a coin, like you should have come up heads and you know, like, but it's got to come up heads at some point or, you know, yeah, maybe the, the, there's the cliche in the NHL, right? Oh, we're not going to make a change just for the sake of making a change. Well, maybe sometimes you do. I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to have a choice. I think they will make a bunch of changes mm-hmm. um, or the coin will come up heads and we'll all go, Hey, you know, mission accomplished and and then probably go and get crushed by Boston in round two, but we'll deal is, with that. Is, is there a part of your brain that does say, Hey, they're going to, beat Tampa, beat Boston and, and go all the way and win the cup. Is there a it, part of you that can like. There, there's that? never a part of me that thinks that's likely. Okay. And part of that is just, it's 16 teams. It's the parody era. You're, you, you could, you could, you can have the best team in the league. Even if I thought the Leafs were the best team in the league and they're clearly not. But if I thought that it, they're still far more likely than not to not win, but I, I could envision it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the line I used a couple years ago, um, when I was writing about the Montreal series, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but yeah. uh, you know, obviously as a, as a Leafs fan, you look at teams like the Red Sox and the Cubs that used to be sitting at that table with the Leafs as the, you know, the, the full-time losers and they got out of it. And, and I said, at some point, you don't even necessarily know that you've seen the Dave Roberts stolen base, right? <laughs> that, that, you know, when the Red Sox, they're down three, nothing to the Yankees in the series, stupid Red Sox are going to lose again. Dave Roberts steals the base. They tie the game. They go on. They win the series. They win the World Series. And everything's been different ever since. And, you know, maybe that that moment happens. The The Maple Leafs, uh, you know, as far as even the last two years that they've choked and they've, been, they've collapsed and all this, they've been in overtime three times with a chance to win the series. And they, if they had a lot of scoring, you can go back and look. You know, Austin Matthews taps one just wide. That pucks goes in. Maybe that's the Dave Roberts stolen base. You could absolutely see a case where... They beat the Lightning. Maybe it's in game seven. Maybe it's in overtime. Maybe they go and sweep them. And, you know, then they beat the Red Sox and suddenly ever, or the Reds, the Bruins go out and beat Boston. And now everyone's going, wait a second, final four. Here we go. And they're up against Carolina or New York or New Jersey, whoever win that, go to the final Western Conference is weaker this year. You could absolutely picture a world where the Leafs have won the Stanley Cup. And then what's going to happen, right? Everyone's going to look back and go, of course, of course. We all saw this coming. We all knew this. They had to learn how to win. And, you know, we'll all throw our own narratives and cliches on it. And, um, but uh, I could absolutely see it happening. But, you know, I, I can picture a coin coming up heads four times in a row, too. It just sometimes that's what it takes. And then people like me, it's our job to, to fill in the narrative all the way around it and build a story out of what, in some cases, is just, you know, random chance breaking a different way than it had before. Well, uh, as a Sens fan and Jets fan, I don't think uh, the Stanley Cup's coming my way this year. So I, uh, I hope you guys go, you know, far uh, enough. Although I, I every you year don't I, mean that. You're if you if you're a Senators fan, you do not mean that. But I appreciate you lying right to my face saying yeah. that you're not going to be yeah, hoping yeah. that they get swept and you know, I, I do. I did. I did pick the Habs in seven that year just as kind of a yeah. joke, and it worked. So I did too. I did yeah, too, wow. and I got a lot of people mad at me right up until it happened, but. <laughs> um, before I let you go, uh, I just wanted to ask you if you were the NHL commissioner for one day, what rule would you change? Oh or man, any- I can only change one. Cause I can do a nope. lot in a day, man. I, I know I can- you can only change one. 
I would change the uh, I would change the standings. I would change the uh, the way we have it now with the loser point uh, and and specifically with this idea that overtime games are worth more. So if it's close in the third period, shut her down. Nobody try. Everybody just dump the puck in. Wait for the the loser point fairy to come and sprinkle extra points on the game. And um, I, I would probably do and I would probably go uh, overtime. I have been talked into the the three two one system so yeah. it's three points for a regulation win if you go to overtime it's two for the winner one for the loser you lose in regulation it's it's no points make overtime 10 minutes instead of five you'll get more games end in overtime you'll get more more teams trying to win in regulation regulation becomes exciting like hey we we got we want to get that winning goal before uh before overtime shootouts will maybe be interesting again because there'll be so much fewer of them I think that all adds up, and then your your standings make sense again. You you don't have you know you don't have this world where oh weird like twenty six teams finished over five hundred this year, and you're like how is that possible? Well, it's possible because we've completely screwed up what what the records look like. I think that's the way to go. Um, so that would be my first thing, and and then I would handcuff myself to the desk and uh, not let them remove me at the end of the day, and make <laughs> probably ten more changes after that. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for for taking the time and, and coming on. I first wanted before uh, the last thing, I guess I'll, I'll let you go. Is is there anything you're working on going forward that you kind of want to plug for the listeners? No, just I mean, find my stuff at the Athletic. Uh, you know, especially as the playoffs start, we're uh, you know we're going into overdrive there, and they can uh, find me. I've got two podcasts. I, I've got the Athletic Hockey Show with Ian Mendez uh, that uh, you can find as as part of. The Athletic Hockey Show, which is a daily um, uh, podcast that uh, we put out, but Ian and I are on Thursdays, uh, and then I'm also on Puck Soup uh, with my buddy Ryan Lambert, which uh, you can you can find uh, you know search that up wherever you you get your podcast. That's a little more of a lighthearted, uh, more pop culture and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, check check all of that stuff out. And if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, subscribe now. I I promise you, as a sports fan. Um, it's not possible to subscribe to the athletic, even if you're paying the, the full seven or eight bucks a month or whatever it is and not get your money's worth because mm-hmm. it's, it's an absolute fire hose of great, uh, great sports content, hockey and, and everything else. And you get it all for one price. It is uh, going to be more than worth it for you. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm definitely going to, I'm excited to read your, your pieces in June about the Leafs winning the cup and, and what it means to you. So uh, uh, hopefully that happens for you. And, and yeah. I'll uh, be writing them in June. I'm not, I'm not starting work on those in advance. Let's just say yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, I, I, sometimes I pre-write. I, I ain't doing those ones. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and uh, have a great uh, uh, playoffs and, and, and the rest of the year uh, covering uh, the NHL and the Leafs uh, for the athletic and everything. Right on. We'll, we'll see the senators in uh, round one next year. Yeah, exactly.